0: A lot of kids in America are sick right now. (coughs) There's the flu, there's still that lingering pandemic, but the big problem appears to be RSV, respiratory syncytial virus.
1: Authorities say it is the worst pediatric care crisis in decades. Well, here's an alarming number, 99% of pediatric beds are now full at one of the nation's top hospitals. I'm worried about the kids getting sicker and the lack of beds being able to fit them all in for the care that they need.
2: And it is a virus very well known to all of us, whether you realize it or not. It is an extremely common cause of colds every cold season.
0: But for babies, this is no common cold. It's critical. And this has been a particularly brutal
2: year. The hospitals are at or above capacity, and the emergency departments are seeing double volumes from what they were ever seeing before COVID. But it's not
0: all bad news. We might have some viable vaccines. The details are forthcoming on Today Explained.
1: Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's Insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead.
0: Today, explain Sean Ramos' firm here with Vox's Dr. Karen Landman, who has some gnarly details about RSV to kick off the show.
2: Uh, yeah, once you see it, you never forget it. The main thing that RSV does is it attacks the lining of the airways, and that leads to inflammation, so thickening of those airways. And it, in response, your immune system makes a lot of mucus, which basically further narrows the airways. It started out with just cold, and then all of a sudden, he just was gunked up and couldn't breathe. It's almost like if you take a thin plastic straw, and now because of the inflammation, it's suddenly made of this thick cardboard. And not only that, because it's got all this junk on the inside it's like there's peanut butter on the inside so try to move air through a peanut butter lined cardboard straw it's going to go a lot uh it's going to take a lot more effort to move that air than it will if you have that you know a thin plastic straw sorry that's kind of gross
0: what a haunting visual cam you're
2: welcome the difference between kids and adults when it comes to respiratory viruses is the size of their airways in babies they both start and end much, much, much smaller than they do in adults. So um, anything that thickens that airway um, and narrows the space through which air moves, is gonna have a more severe impact on a baby just because your starting size of that tube is so much smaller than it is in an adults. And so these babies cough, they make this like terrible hacking, juicy cough. And then they also wheeze a lot, or what sounds like wheezing a lot, um, because they're moving air through just a, a much, much narrower space. It makes a kind of whistling, wheezy noise. Her rib
0: cage, very clearly when she was doing every single breath, it was going in and out, in and
2: out. They work to move the air through their airways much harder than they would if their airways were not clogged like this. So that, that looks different in babies and adults because there's so much more cartilage in the rib cages. So you really see them sucking in um, the spaces between their ribs, sometimes denting in the fronts of their chests just above their belly, just because their chests are working so hard to try to get their little lungs to fill with air.
0: We were definitely terrified, especially when we saw that she needed to go on oxygen and had the tubes
2: in her nose. I did not think RSV could do this to babies. Like, I did not know that they could be intubated, that they could almost die, that they could code. It's really alarming to see um, for parents and even for healthcare providers, even, even the ones that have seen a lot of sick babies, RSV babies just look like they're really struggling. It's hard to watch.
0: And all peanut butter aside, this can kill these infants. It is killing these infants.
2: It kills lots of infants. I mean, in the US, where we have pretty great pediatric care, our other many, many issues of access and equity notwithstanding, we lose 100 to 300 babies a year to RSV, which is a lot actually babies should not be dying of infections like this but globally you know this disease causes many many more pediatric deaths just because they do not have access to the kind of respiratory support the kinds of machines and medications and care that we do here in the united states you know the estimates vary depending on who's doing the math and how exactly they do it but it's upward of 100,000 babies per year that die globally of RSV and probably closer to 120 to 150,000 babies a year. It also causes lots of illness that leads quote only to hospitalization which is also not great. We hospitalize uh, about around 60,000 babies a year in the United States. And, you know, being hospitalized, as any parent of a small baby will tell you, it's super stressful. It's also, you know, it's just not not a situation that anybody wants to have their baby hospitalized. So those are important as well. But it's also a very, very important cause of hospitalization and death in adults. You know, we, we really don't recognize RSV as much as we should, as a cause of pneumonia in adults, but in you know people over sixty-five, we hospitalized 120,000 a year in the United States uh, for RSV-related causes, and many die as well. It's a, it has a huge impact.
0: Why are kids getting so sick right now? If this has been around forever, what what feels different about 2022?
2: What a lot of folks think is going on is that RSV just hasn't had a chance to circulate at the rate that it's now circulating for a long time. Even though kids went back to school last fall, and there was a big surge of RSV last fall to go along with that, adults were still masked, and a lot of them were still not back physically in the office. So what's happening now is that not only are kids back in school, but adults are uh, also circulating and mostly unmasked. So RSV... It circulates pretty widely every fall, and a lot of people get infected with RSV every year, uh, sometimes multiple times a year, and that kind of leaves them with a level of antibodies that can prevent subsequent RSV infections from being super, super severe. If you go several years without an RSV infection, antibody level wanes down to the point where your immune system When it sees RSV again, it's like it's the first time all over again. Hmm. And so it responds more strongly to that infection. So we now have also, when you think about it, uh, babies who were born during the pandemic, a lot of them never got exposed to any colds because they've been either kept home or masked um, or they've just been in environments where they have not gotten a lot of exposure to those things, uh, to viruses. So they haven't had a chance to build any immunity. So new infections now, um, whether RSV or not, are meeting immune systems that really don't have a lot of protection against them or, or much experience with them. So it's a it's a bad situation in that sense.
0: What is the impact right now of this surge on the healthcare system?
2: The impact right now is largely unfolding in children's hospitals or on pediatric wards of general hospitals. A lot of those hospital beds are full. A lot of the ICUs are full. The intensive care units um, are really close to capacity. And most importantly, a lot of emergency rooms are full um, and beyond full. I talked to um, the COO of uh, Children's Hospital of Alabama, which is the only children's hospital in that state uh, the other day, and he said that where they usually have uh, they have 52 Uh, spaces in their beds in their emergency room to see kids. And they had 125 people physically in the emergency room a few nights ago. And that means that uh, 70 odd people are waiting to be seen at any given moment. And that's a really bad scene, as you can imagine, in in an emergency room that's just not equipped for that. It doesn't necessarily mean that a a larger proportion of the people in the emergency room are sick, but it does mean that if you show up with a broken arm or with something else that's not RSV, you're going to wait a lot longer to get care. And if you happen to be somebody whose illness is moving quickly and you're getting sick more quickly, it's not a super safe place for you.
0: So when you have your kid wheezing, really fighting for air, and you know that the respiratory person has like 60 other kids they have to deal with, it's a painful process, a helpless process.
2: As we learned in covid your healthcare system is only as strong as the people who are able to staff it, right? You can have 100 beds in the hospital, but if you only have enough nurses and respiratory therapists and doctors to take care of 80 patients, you functionally only have 80 beds. We already had a pretty strained healthcare staffing system before COVID, but like 20% of healthcare workers either quit or or were laid off during the earlier parts of the pandemic. And a lot of those folks are not coming back to bedside patient care. And that means that as stressed as our healthcare workforce was before the pandemic, it's much more strained now. So there's just a lot less slack in the system to handle surges like this, you know, where in the past there was a pool of, for example, travel nurses that could very easily be flexed on during a seasonal surge like this, almost like any other seasonal worker that you could hire and then not keep on staff for the rest of the year when you didn't need them. That pool just no longer exists. If it exists, it's a lot smaller. So there's just a lot less reserve, a lot less ability to scale up our healthcare workforce when we need it during surges like this. And that is in large part, not entirely, but in large part a consequence of the pandemic.
0: But is this surge we're experiencing right now forcing people to take this a little more seriously this year?
2: This is the first time that I've seen RSV in the headlines to the the degree that it is now. And I hope that people will take it more seriously as a consequence. And I think equally importantly, even though the general public may not take RSV seriously, the medical community really does. And that's a good thing because they've been working on some really important solutions to um, RSV uh, and have been for, for years, really decades. There's some really exciting stuff coming down the pike. Pfizer just releasing data on trials for a shot for pregnant women to combat the respiratory illness that is hitting children so
1: hard nationwide. Pfizer
0: plans to submit the vaccine for FDA approval. By the end of the year, the vaccine is given as a single dose shot.
2: Really incredible advances along uh, prevention lines that I think are gonna be real game changers for RSV's effect on babies and adults, both in the U.S. and globally.
0: We love a little hope, Karen.
2: Yes, hope is good.
0: (laughs)
1: You can go to Indeed.com slash Today Explained. Let them know you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Today Explained. Terms and conditions do apply. Need to hire? Asks Indeed? You need Indeed. Indeed.
0: and help you stress less and sell more. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash explained. Go to shopify.com slash explained now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash explained. Today Explained, still here with Karen Landman. Karen, you mentioned a moment ago that there's good news here. There are some vaccine trials. We recently got some news. Why isn't there already a vaccine for RSV?
2: Oh, Sean, it's a long story. It starts back in the 1960s with an effort to create an RSV vaccine, which really speaks to just for how long RSV has been a scourge on the scene of pediatric illnesses. A bunch of scientists tried to create a vaccine. It didn't go well. The kids who received the vaccine and then got infected through the course of their lives with RSV actually did worse than the kids who didn't get the vaccine. And two of the kids who got the vaccine died. Wait, how did these kids die? Without getting too far into the weeds, basically, we didn't really understand how different babies' immune systems are from adults back then. And the vaccine wasn't weakened enough, and it ended up causing these babies to have a stronger immune reaction to their RSV infections than they would have had without the vaccine. We know a lot more about a baby's immune systems now than we did back then. But even over the next few decades after the 60s, just because there was so much fear after that failed vaccine trial, that it just really slowed vaccine development related to RSV for a long time.
0: Yeah, I can imagine, given recent experience, that that really would have slowed down the machinery here. Does anything happen between then and now? Surely, yes.
2: Yes, very much so. So something really exciting happened in 2013 when a scientist named Jason McClellan, who's now at the University of Texas in Austin, figured out how to solve an important problem in RSV vaccine development.
0: Okay, so that's that's a bit of a story. Uh, We're trying to do a lot of work there for structure-based vaccine design for HIV-1. And it was challenging and uh, maybe because HIV is a really difficult virus. So I thought, why don't we try and work on RSV, maybe a more tractable virus.
2: Basically, the issue was that RSV, when it's just circulating in your blood, before it actually invades a cell, the proteins on its surface, which would normally be a target for a vaccine, have a, a certain shape. Once the virus invades your body's cells, those proteins take a different shape. You really ideally want to target the pre-invasion shape of the virus proteins, because that way you can actually have your body's immune system recognize the virus before it invades your cells, right? But the problem is that when they would try to isolate this protein in the lab and, and get a look at its shape in this sort of pre-invasion, pre-fusion stage, it really was unstable and they just couldn't get it to sit still long enough for them to get a clear picture of what it looked like in order to create a vaccine to attack it. But in 2013, McClellan figured out how to keep this protein stable enough in its pre-fusion, pre-invasion stage so that they could actually get a good enough sense of what it looked like to develop uh, vaccines to prevent it. And that was a huge step forward for this field. So it really sparked an enormous amount of scientific breakthrough afterwards. And it was hugely important for hastening the development of the COVID vaccine once SARS-CoV-2 came on the scene.
0: This RSV research helped the COVID vaccine?
2: Crazy, right?
0: We started working on the structure. They began coordinating with Moderna to get the first vaccine uh, formulated?
2: Same basic principle. The spike protein on the surface of of the virus that causes COVID is also not super stable in its pre-fusion phase. Hmm. And they needed to find a way to stabilize that in order to make a vaccine to target it. So vaccine developments made in an effort to target one particular pathogen are really portable to efforts to target vaccines to other pathogens. And this was a really exciting example of that.
0: So how does this 2013 development set us up for the most recent development, which is that there's this new Pfizer vaccine candidate?
2: This 2013 development actually set us up for a whole bunch of new vaccine candidates and other products that are coming on the scene to help protect both babies and adults from RSV.
1: Novavax prepare phase 3 trial of the RSVF vaccine for infants via maternal immunization aims to protect infants. When they are most vulnerable to an RSV infection.
2: And the the Pfizer vaccine candidate is just one of those. But it's an important one because it's probably going to be the one that gets used most often, at least in the early stages of this.
1: Pfizer saying its vaccine against the respiratory virus is safe for pregnant women and effective in helping protect their babies.
2: This vaccine targets the pre-fusion, pre-invasion protein on the surface of RSV meant to be given to people who are carrying pregnancies uh, in order to allow the antibodies that are stimulated by the vaccine to be transferred naturally to the fetus, to the baby that's inside during the pregnancy. Fancy. It's not as uncommon as you might think. There are a lot of vaccines that are given to pregnant people with the express purpose of boosting antibody production so that those antibodies get transferred to the baby that they're carrying before the baby is born in order to protect the baby from a whole variety of infections in case they're exposed to them in the very early months of life. Flu vaccine, COVID vaccine. We give other vaccines during pregnancy for this exact same reason. And um, this is the way I think most babies will end up being protected from RSV. Hmm. And the reason we do that is because babies' immune systems are much, much less mature than even younger children's are. They're just not capable of producing a lot of antibodies in the first few months of life. So they really rely on the antibodies that they get from the person who carries them while they're pregnant. How well does it work? In the trial results that Pfizer released early last week, the vaccine prevented 69% of severe RSV cases in babies six months and younger. It is really nice. So, what we mean by severe cases are cases requiring medical attention. So, anything where a parent said, oh, "This is too scary. I'm taking this kid into the clinic, to the hospital, to the doctor's office." That. So, that's uh, that's actually a lot because that that means that it's um, it's also preventing a lot of hospitalizations and and also a fair amount of deaths. So, it's a big deal.
0: And this is just one of several RSV vaccines in development.
2: Right. And I want to be clear, when we say vaccines, um, it's not just vaccines that are being developed. Uh, This maternal vaccine is, I think, the chief candidate for a maternal vaccine that's out there right now. But there are also at least three monoclonal antibodies under development. Some of us might remember hearing about monoclonal antibodies during COVID. I caught it. I heard about this drug. I said, let me take it. It was my suggestion. I said, let me take it. And it was incredible the way it worked, incredible. And it's basically a synthetic version of the naturally produced antibody that you get when you get vaccinated. This will primarily be used in babies who are born before the person carrying them has a chance to get vaccinated with a maternal RSV vaccine. So say your baby is born at 30 weeks um, before you had a chance to get an RSV vaccine or you know you weren't able to get prenatal care. Um, your baby can still get monoclonal antibody um, instead of the antibodies that the parent would have passed on to them um, and and still be really well protected in those first six months of life when, I should also mention, RSV is most dangerous.
0: Okay, you've got the Pfizer vaccine, a whole bunch of other ones. When do one of these things get approved? Is it Operation Warp Speed Part 2?
2: Oh, Sean, LOL. No, my sweet summer child. Operation Warp Speed <laughs> is not going to happen again for a long time. We'd all love to see that kind of government investment in vaccines. But that was uh, uh, a rare event for our government to fund vaccine development to that degree. So this is... Huh. Even with dying babies? Uh, yeah. Sorry. Hmm. You know, what what Operation Warp Speed did was it scaled up the discovery process uh, in a way that RSV vaccine doesn't really need. What RSV vaccine needs now is, you know, approval and licensing and recommendations in the U.S. And Pfizer's vaccine is already at a place where they are going to be submitting their data to the FDA for their review in the coming months, probably in the coming weeks even. And that means that the pathway to scaling up production to make it available to Parents carrying babies to protect their babies could happen in the next one to two years. Okay. That's really exciting. Their monoclonal antibodies are probably also on a similar time course. There are a couple of vaccines that are under investigation. I should call them vaccine candidates that are under investigation to be used in babies directly. So these would look a little bit more like the vaccines that. Adults are used to meaning vaccines that you get in your arm and they protect you, um, rather than the kind that a parent gets to protect their infant. Uh, but um, and then there are all these vaccine candidates in adults. One of which I think is also on track uh, to be approved in the next year or two. So these are um, these are going to be moving forward, uh, funded by pharma themselves, to do a lot of uh, work on getting approved, licensed. And uh, recommended and then have production scaled up.
0: And in the meantime, Karen, what do parents who are freaking out about this surge in RSV plus COVID plus the flu season do to protect their kids?
2: We've learned a lot of lessons from COVID, right, about what it takes to reduce the spread of a respiratory virus. These measures may not be extremely popular because so many of us are so tired of them, but they really work washing your hands, right? Ventilating your spaces and wearing masks, like wearing masks uh, when people are sick or, or when you're in crowded spaces, it really works to protect kids and adults from these infections. So a lot of the skills that we learn to keep each other healthy during COVID are applicable now and not just when it's COVID that's surging, but also when things like RSV are surging. So I hope we can apply some of those lessons to this current health crisis.
0: Dr. Karen Landman writes about science and health at Vox. Our show today was produced by Victoria Chamberlain. She had help from Matthew Collette, Laura Bullard, and Paul Robert Mounsey. It's Today Explained.